dream last night. A vision. I saw a world full of people. Everybody was dancing and screaming loud. They were just there to listen to the music. It was deep. It was underground. Let's turn the world into a dance floor. Yes, welcome to a new A State of Trance podcast. And this week we have a very special guest, one of my favorite artists of the moment. Yeah, he has been making music for quite a long time already, but he had his big breakthroughs with an EP, of course, released on Afterlife and uh, after that as well on Rose Avenue. Welcome to the studio, Colin. Hey, thanks for the nice introduction. Oh, nice you're welcome. That's that's the, the shortest in introduction I could do because it can be more extended than that. <laughs> With all the all the stuff that's happening around you right now. Um, so I have a couple of uh, fan questions for you and I want to dive a little bit more in the history of, of how Colin came about. So let's sure. start at the very, very first beginning because there's always a moment in a person's life that you were like, okay, now I want to start making music. What was for you the moment that you were like, okay, this is something that I want to do? Um, well... I was like in in high school. Mm -hmm. I was uh, like a pretty normal kid, and I used to do game a lot, and and I listened to a lot of like electronic music while doing that. And at some point, my my mother said, "You know, all this game you do is not really healthy for you. Like it's going nowhere." And uh, obviously, you're a teenager, so you resist that. And at some point, I was like, "Okay, I'll try to do something with the music instead of gaming." And I got hooked to. Um, producing music and my brother at that time was like experimenting with turntables and that oh, kind of okay. stuff so I kind of got lured in and from that moment I started making music and also like followed my brother doing the DJ thing at that point and this was like I think 12 years ago uh, now and from from there on it started to to grow on me and then yeah once you're hooked to the to the bug of producing music it kind of never lets you go it's again. an addiction yeah definitely that's funny. I have the same. I have the same thing. My brother was, was turning into a DJ as well, and I was, I was very intrigued on what he was doing. Is he still DJing as well? No, but he's still working in music. He's a a sound engineer for like uh, commercial television and radio. Wow, so it's cool. He he still uh, works in the field. Okay, so what were your first steps into making music? You you were sitting behind a computer doing uh, games, and instead of that, you open a sequencer. Exactly, and then you start experimenting and reproducing things that you think are cool at that point mm -hmm. and um yeah from then from there on it, it starts to develop and grow and at first you're just doing it for fun and i think after a year or three four or five years you start to realize oh actually it sounds not that bad what i'm doing <laughs> and and that's kind of a turning point but the first the first few years is just having fun and seeing what you're doing i mean it basically, if you listen back to it now, I don't even have it anymore. It makes no sense, but you're you're just enjoying it. It's like, it's, yeah, basically a game at that point. And then it slowly turns into something more serious. We had some uh, artists here in the past that started out with making uh, stuff like drum and bass and hardcore and then evolved into other genres. What was the first direction that you were going when you uh, started making music? My first direction was a bit more progressive. So it was when, like in a time... And like Eric Pritz and Swedish mm -hmm. House Mafia were, were big. So it was more in that direction. And then I think five, six years ago, it turned more into the underground and more towards um, yeah what we now call melodic house and techno. Mm -hmm. um, and it used to be a bit more dark than it is now. Now it's, I'd like to call it a bit more hopeful. <laughs> okay, um, I like that. That's cool. So um, 
But yeah, I started with a bit more the, the old school progressive before EDM. Mm-hmm. It kind of was, yeah, the, the trancey stuff was cool. And then at a certain point, you started to exploring your sounds and then you realized that this is what I want to do. Exactly. And um, yeah, like I said, at first you're just copying people and that's just how you get started and try to be good at something. And then you have to find your own um, own ways. And um, that takes a lot of time, but it's actually really a really cool journey you're, you're headed in when you're doing that. I think that's one of the, the best tips that you can give to aspiring DJs and producers is when you start making music, see how other people created a certain lead and then maybe you should try to recreate it. That's how you learn as well. Exactly. I think. So the first uh, steps in producing, you were a little bit the dark the kind of stuff and then you started finding your own sound. What was the first tune that got signed and got released? Do you still remember? Um, it's a super long time ago, but I think the first tune is, is, is I think on my previous ADS on Bold Moves. Mm-hmm. was my previous DJ name. And this is, I think, six years ago on a Greek label. And this is one of the first like underground EPs I ever did and actually got received really well, got support by a few names in the scene. So that was also encouraging when you're releasing music and it actually gets picked up by some of the names that you like. That kind of gives you a lot of motivation to keep going. So that was cool. But still you decided to change your name after that. Yeah, because the sound I do now is, is quite a lot different to what I did back then. And I felt at some point I wanted a fresh start and I don't know, it just had a different, like I said, it was a bit more dark melodic before mm-hmm. and now it's a bit more hopeful. The I think that the playing field is a bit wider for what I do with Colin. I love it, man. And then uh, your first releases came out. What was your first Colin release? Um, or your breakthrough? Was, this the, before the, yeah, before the, 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 the EP on Afterlife? Was, was, was Amor on Afterlife on the VA. Yeah. That was the the big one which really got played everywhere and, and put the name on the map. Um, and yeah, we have been sending stuff to Tale of Us for a while at that point because they were one of my biggest, uh, yeah, the biggest artists that I really love their sound and really mm-hmm. want to be part of what they were doing. Um, and with Amor, like me and, and also my management, management, we thought like this is something special. We have to send it to them and let's hope they pick it up. And we sent it to them and we had like no answer for four months. We're oh like, no. And we're like, oh, this was such a big track. Like, but they never answered. Crush Dreams. And yeah, Crush Dreams. And then after, I think four or five months, we saw them play it in, in Tulum on their Afterlife showcase there. And it went super viral on the internet. Everyone's like, what's this track? This track is so cool. And that's what we were, and we were like, wait a they, minute. They never answered. And five months later, boom, it, it's there and it's exploding. And that was, yeah, really crazy way how things went. And did it get in touch Afterwards, because yeah, afterwards the the label manager he emailed us like, "Hey, the guys really like the track. We want to sign it to the VA. Uh, is that okay for you?" And I was like, "Wow, uh, I have to think once or twice. Uh, uh, let's no. do it." <laughs> but what if you already because there's a period of five months in between that you sent the demo to them and then they played it? What if you sign in a way to a smaller label already in the meantime? Well, you were sure that it was going to be a big one, so you yeah, hold on. Yeah, and we also had like a, an idea in our head, like where then? Mm-hmm. Like we wanted to 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 sign this to a good label and we did, already did some smaller releases. So we wanted to make a step up with this track. So for us, it was a bit like, you know, if it doesn't work out towards there, then what are we doing? And also the, the playing field back then was a bit smaller. There's now a lot of cool labels surrounding yeah. like the top labels. But back then there was really 
a lot of small indie labels and there was like Afterlife, Afterlife. And, and Dynamic okay. and this yeah. was like kind of the the big few labels. So it was, it was different. Like you either had to make the step towards one of those or you keep uh, working in like the, the more indie small side, which is also cool. But at some point you, you want to make a step, of course. So for us, it was, uh, yeah, we, we, we hoped and we waited and, and, and in the end it worked out. But I can't believe that you had the patience together as a, as a team to, to wait out on it. That's amazing. Well, it was also because we already had a bit of um, movement with Taylor of Us that we were like, maybe when we send the next demos, they'll they'll reconsider or something. Mm -hmm. We already were in contact with them. So I guess so that, for the that, EP, that, that like made it. us a bit more confident that at some point, maybe not this track, but at least we had some, every every month we would send a few tracks and they would always respond. But this time it just, they never responded to that track. And we were like, this is the oh, one. Oh, wow. That's amazing. And then of course, the same track we were talking about, Amor, suddenly appeared in, in the Tomorrowland After movie. Yeah. Then you suddenly reach so many people that normally wouldn't listen to your music. No, that was super cool. They reached out if 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 they could include it in the After movie. Again, no. <laughs> and we said, how much? <laughs> no, of course we said like, well, yeah, that's super amazing. Like the, the After movie is like, I think if you grew up with electronic music, it's always something that was super cool to watch. Um, and to have your music be part of that is, is amazing. So we instantly were super excited about the idea. And I remember it very well when I watched the, the, the after movie for the first time, because I remember that it's somewhere halfway in the after movie, if you want to watch it, because they are already building up like peak time EDM stuff like that. And Sony goes back and then it goes to Amor. Yeah. Such a pivotal moment in, in that after movie. So I think that's one of the, yeah, that was one of the first times that I really saw your name popping up as well. That was amazing. Cool. Well, congratulations on that. I hope that, uh, that that they will book you for the main stage for that next year. That would be nice. So. It will be super cool. If you're watching, yeah. guys, <laughs> this man. <laughs> I have uh, a couple of questions also from uh, friends that they were uh, submitted through uh, through Instagram. Um, the first one is from uh, Ale Salant. He wants to know, why did you decide to remix Hollow? Um, because I liked the original, but I felt like the, the instrumental didn't work for me. And... We were talking with the Armada office for a while, like if we could do a remix for, uh, like a remix for Armin. Mm -hmm. And they basically gave me a while ago, like, which track do you like? And I really loved the the, the theme and the vocal of, of Hollow. So I figured if I can pivot like the, the instrumental around to a bit more my sound, it could actually work really well because the vocal has the perfect vibe to have a more melodic it's very uh, moody. Hope, hopeful, progressive thing under it. And the vocal is very, also very uh, fragile, mm -hmm. which makes it super cool. Um, so for me, the, 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 there needs to be like one baseline element in, a, in an original that I can really milk that can work for, for the remix. And mm -hmm. for me, the vocal instantly was like, boom, I can make this my own and still carry over some elements from the original to make it a, a, a solid remix. I love because it's the same... Well, it's not the same. It's not the same kind of energy, but uh, it was already a deeper progressive stuff from Armin himself. But you, you gave it a different kind of emotion because the original is quite, yeah, it's quite moody, it's almost sad. It's quite heavy. It's yeah, pretty dark. Also, the instrumental, especially, and this one feels a bit more uplifting. I mean, I think the the, the breakdowns have the same mood as the original, but it's more like what happens before and after is a bit more uplifting. Yeah, I think your version is a little bit more well. There we go. Hopeful. Yeah, Happy. Exactly. <laughs> I like it. Um, next one. Another question that comes in. I don't actually know about this. So this is one of your fans probably. Uh, Avidor Turgeman wants to know why did the new Sky Remix not release? 
This is a remix I did <laughs> for Rufus uh, a long time ago. Okay. And um, yeah, there's a lot of um, answers to this, but in the end, it just didn't come together. Um, I the, the guys told me you can do a remix, but the, the remix package came so out so early that we couldn't get it ready. And then there was not really a moment in there planning to release it afterwards. So we decided to keep it as a special thing for the sets. And um, so for now, that's what it is. And um, yeah, it was mainly because the, the remix pack of that album was already out. So it was difficult to ah. fit it in somewhere else. Okay. So for now, it's just uh, something special uh, for the sets. I actually like that, that you have stuff that's not going to be released. That's just only a thing that you can listen to. When I mean, we... maybe in the future we can, It something will still happen. The uh, let's the see. The but, the uh, but for now, it's just uh, for the sets. Okay. I've been quite amazed about this whole because we've been talking in the, uh, through uh, some dinner and lunch as well about the different kind of scenes and how everything is coming along and there was another fan question uh, as well by Fadi in Silhouette that wants to know uh, what is the main difference between melodic techno and trance? Um, yeah, that's also difficult because trance is uh, such a wide thing right now I mean, for me, trance is always like the old school trance, so like what Chesto and Armin used to do in like yeah. the 2000s. That's for me is trance. And I think a, a lot of the melodic techno resembles that, but in a more, uh, I don't know, like complete and lower BPM format. It's a bit more groovy. It's a bit less about um, the melodies. I think trance is, is based more on on these super epic harmonies and breaks that will eventually come back to a beat. And I think melodic techno revolves around the fact that there needs to be a groove going on for most of the time and then you have the smaller epic break that kind of like maybe is borrowed from trance and then so i think in that sense it's a combination really of the techno and the trancey side yeah because when for example when i listen to when when i was listening to your guest mix here on the on the state of trance when i listen to resolve i'm like this is trance for me this is trance like the the melodies the build up uh, it's a it's storytelling also yeah, I think if you speed it up uh, by by around ten BPM, it it kind of fits into yeah. the older trends that that yeah that also I grew up with. I listened to a lot of trends in the early two thousands. That's crazy. And um, well, one of the things that that I noticed about the melodic techno and uh, and progressive house that during the pandemic, it felt like every DJ started doing live streams first of all, and you also saw a lot of EDM DJs and techno DJs suddenly playing the slower kind of sound that you already made how did you how did you look at those DJs just turning into your genres suddenly um, well I think it's also quite natural that if you if you're pure listening if it's not a show um, and you have this this super main stage sound as an act I mean it's very I think it's difficult to do to, to, or more difficult to sell that sound on on just a live stream or or as a podcast i think yeah. it needs kind of the show element and and the crowd to 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 get that going so i guess for a lot of people that kind of works um and also the the melodic sound has become a bit more crossover commercial so mm -hmm. there's a lot more like gray area in between uh edm trance melodic techno there's a lot of stuff that people don't even know what kind of genre it is and true and there's a lot of artists digging into that so I mean, for, for me personally, I always just look at what I do myself and I don't think too much about like, oh, he's doing this now, he's doing that now. Like for me, I always think people will book me or will like me because of who I am and what I do and not because I'm better or worse than someone else. Mm -hmm. that's, that's my main 
thing and that's always the philosophy I try to tell people when they ask me these kind of questions because it's useless to to be like oh uh, or be jealous about some other artist steering into your genre it's like he can do that but the crowd that I build up here they're here for me and not because of the genre I do yeah maybe a little bit but I, I believe that it's a very personal thing I think it's uh, interesting to see because what before the pandemic situation you saw that a lot of techno artists started introducing more or trans elements, or basically what they did, they took the 1998, 1999 trends, which was bare music. There was not a lot of elements and they turned it into techno. And suddenly the pandemic came and everything slowed down. And suddenly everybody comes together on, on melodic music suddenly again. I find it fascinating. And also, uh, I play a lot of progressive in my sets as well. And then you see the difference when I play a track for the trans crowd, people are like, okay, waiting for the next one. But when I see something on your Instagram, people just go off, they jump on slower stuff. I find it so cool. Yeah, I mean, it's, like I said, it's the difference. The, the It's it, it's mainly the groove. I mm -hmm. think uh, if you're playing, um, I mean, if you're playing on a trans crowd, they're probably used to something faster that like all leads to this one moment where it explodes. Yeah. And yeah, I think everyone is in, in, in my scene is very used to the, the slower and like the faster. There's always something going. The faster feels super aggressive for them. And this feels like more like a grooving kind of going. And then the, the small moments and breaks and buildups that they have actually are in, in that context are pretty big and are a big moment. And if you're used to trance, it's not a big moment. It feels like, oh, it just continues. Yeah, that's true. But I think I think the more what you're saying that you stay in the groove, that's that gets you into a sort of a trance. Exactly. Right, because the groove keeps going. Then there's always arpeggios going on. There's always yeah. something, an element that keeps going the whole track. Yeah, I love that. Um, another thing, um, you've been touring. Last couple of weeks, you've been touring in South America as well. Now you're back in the Netherlands. Uh, how does a normal day look to, look like for you? Like, what do you do in, on a normal day when you're not touring? Um, depends a bit on on what we have to do. Uh, usually, it's studio time, and there's kind of like a bit of planning going on what I need to do, especially when I come back from a long tour, there's usually some things we have to wrap up before the end of the month, for instance. Mm -hmm. So I try to do I have at least three, four studio days when I'm home. Um, and sometimes we have just an office day because sometimes there's so much stuff that we need to go over together that me and my management sit at the office together and mm -hmm. we did discuss stuff for like three, four hours. And then maybe I go home, make a bit of music at home and keep it there. But also I'm really a guy that... I feel like forcing um, music and forcing being in the studio for me doesn't work. So if I go to the studio and after two hours, I feel like, you know, today is not the day. Um, I just go home and do something else. That's super strong. Um, I used to be the grinder, but that was also because at some point you're still developing your technical skills a lot. And now the technical skills are quite on a level. So if it just creatively isn't working, I can keep grinding, grinding, and maybe something will come and... There are definitely still days that I do that because I'm frustrated and I want to make something happen. Um, but a lot of the times I can also say to myself, okay, it's just not today. Tomorrow will be the day. And usually tomorrow is the day or the day after, you know, I'm a bit more calm than I used to be that at some point I will make a new cool track again, or I will develop this one idea. And even a small thing can be enough to, to make my day. Are you a guy with, that needs to work with deadlines or are you okay? Just see how it goes. Um, doesn't need to, but I can work with deadlines. I'm 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 a fast producer, so with producing music, it can I can be really quickly. But yeah, it it can also happen that you have a deadline, and 
every time you rework the track, it doesn't feel right. It doesn't feel as though the, the, the version that should be released. So then sometimes you get really tied with deadlines just because you're going back, back, forth. Um, that can be very, very annoying, but it's also, it also pushes you. And usually at the end, you come to the good result, but sometimes it's frustrating that you're pushing, um, but you never feel like it's right. And then you keep going back. It's also the, the perfectionist thing that probably a lot of artists have. Mm -hmm. um, but yeah, usually it works out. I've never missed a deadline. Like I've never missed it bad. <laughs> <laughs> I like that. Oh my God. And also, is a track ever done for you or is, is your management deciding when it's done? Um, I used to be really bad at finishing tracks until I started finishing every track. And then also you just need to realize that the people who hear this track, they don't know the 20 versions before. They hear the last version that you made. For them, that's done. Mm -hmm. So yeah, I just at some point feel like this is it, this is done. Um, and there's also no reason to go back on that because the people who will hear it have no idea of everything that happened before. So for them, when you say it's done, it's done. So I, yeah, I used to be bad at calling that moment, but now I'm actually pretty good at it. I'm horrible with that. Version, <laughs> version 81, version 82. I can imagine. Yeah, I, had a, I have a lot of versions as well, but usually I know when it's done, I know. And then I, sh I shut it down and usually my management thinks the same or sometimes not, but then we go into a discussion, but usually they, they agree with me. And then for the people that that's the only version they know. The funny thing is when, um, when I type in your name, everybody that can do this, when I type in your name on YouTube, there is at least a hundred tutorials sound like Colin. How did you come up with making all these weird sounds and, and how did you decide that you, this is your sound? Doing yeah. these weird automations, I think. Let me guess. Uh, Diva, Repro, uh, Profit, Serum. Also, really it's all important. Serum, yeah, yeah. It's it's like it's most of the synths you just called out. The, those are the main ones that the that, synths that, that are alive. Yeah, yeah. And um, if you listen back to my older tracks before Amore, you can hear kind of the the natural progression into that sound. The 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 sound in Amore is just more detailed and more like worked on. But in tracks before that, you can actually hear the same sound used in a different way. Um, so in some sense, it's just a, a long development from me doing this underground music, starting to build up a sound. And like the, the airy sound that people know from Amore actually is in a lot of tracks that are released earlier. And I think even the earlier call-in tracks, you can look them up on Spotify. And the Amore one the difference is just the automation and the... The, the workability, the playability of the sound is very different, but the, the, the bass sound was already there uh, in previous tracks. So it was just at some point me thinking, let's try to take this sound to the next level and try to do something cool. And usually that ends in nothing. And this time it ended in something really cool. You just twist some, uh, some knobs here and there and suddenly the sound hits like, whoa. Exactly. Oh, well, that's interesting. How many automations do you normally have on just one single lead sound? If you open your, which, uh, which DAW do you use? Uh, Ableton. Okay, so how many like different lanes do you have automations on just a lead, for example? Uh, I think not more than four. That's it. Otherwise it gets messy. Okay. But it, it depends a bit. Sometimes the automation is already done in the synth itself. So it sounds maybe like you're working, but sometimes there's an automation controlling this inside of the synth. Mm -hmm. so, but I think usually it's four, maybe five. Are you someone that works, uh, like you start with the init and you start designing your own sound or do you also use certain patches and you tweak those patches? Both. Both. 
but sometimes I just really know which sound I want to have, which sound I want to get. And then for me, it's faster to make it from scratch. But if you're not inspired, you can go through some patches and like, oh, this is interesting. And then your mind, at least my mind instantly starts going like, how can I tweak this to be my own Mm -hmm. and not like this? And then usually you can come to interesting things. Did you ever watch one of those huge videos that they were trying to copy copy your sound? Some are actually pretty good. Yeah, but the right. funny thing is they, they reach the, the, the end result in a different way. But but it comes pretty close to what I do. I mean, obviously it's not the same because everything sounds different with every different step. You don't do the same. But some of them actually sound pretty good. I love watching those tutorials because like the other day I was actually watching a tutorial of one of your, uh, one of your sounds and I was like, hey, okay, that's a cool trick on a diva. I don't know if you, you use it like that, but at least I learned something from it. That's, that's awesome. Hey, out of the out of the tracks that you released so far in your career, which is the one that you're most proud of? It's one of the hardest questions that I can ask someone. So yeah, there you this go. is uh, this is terrible. <laughs> <laughs> um, I think um, Resolve is actually one of the ones that I'm super happy with because after Amor, I got into like the phase that I heard like an interview with Armin before. Like he was like, after I made this this big track, yeah, the next one was actually it's more impossible. difficult. Yeah, and this is what I had with Amor. I was like, oh man. Maybe now I fall into the big black hole. Like I'm what, done. What after this this track? <laughs> and then I produced Resolve and I was like, wow, this is actually cool. I think this can work. And I sent it to my managers and they were like, yeah, this is this is awesome. We should send it to to Afterlife, to Tale of Us. And they were instantly were like playing it everywhere. And I and from that moment on, like that's also why I'm happy with it. It the the fear of the black hole never returned because you 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 did it once so you can do it again. And after Resolve, there was uh, the future is the past. You know, there was always, there's always something new if you keep working. And that was for me like a big eye opener. Like, you know, don't be afraid of having a success and then trying to do the next success or whatever. If you just keep on working, it will come naturally. So I think that's why it was for me a really important track mentally that I could actually do another cool track right after Amor. That's a wise lesson as well. That you don't, you don't need to copy the success of your previous single, basically. Exactly. You just keep on evolving into more other stuff as well. But I also noticed in your production that most of it is instrumental because you give so much space to the melodies and progression. Is it, um, is it, well, it's not done, it's not done, but is it, is it most likely that people not work with vocals in general in, in, I mean, in melodic techno? <clears throat> I mean, there's quite a few vocal tracks with me as well, but usually my vocals are very simple. They work with a catchphrase or something like that and that's kind of what it is. More like an instrument. Yeah, but I feel like um, vocals are like way more introduced in the last two years than it was before. Before it was really like, I think 90% of the music was instrumental. And mm-hmm. now I think it, maybe 60, 70% in a genre is instrumental and there's more and more vocals everywhere. Interesting. How do you see the future for melodic techno uh, coming in the next two, three years? Um, yeah, this is a question that's beyond me, but... I think the the genre is is doing really well. Um, there's there's big shows everywhere, but yeah, I think it uh, it's really difficult to say. I mean, I think it should stay. It's somewhat true to the core of where it came from, but it also melodic techno is a blend of a lot of, of things. Everything, so yeah, there's yeah. there's also room to play on on both sides. So yeah, we'll just see see what happens. I think it's a really difficult question to answer. I think to be honest, I have, I feel that. Uh, the melodic slower stuff is going to have a so much bigger role than it had before the last couple of years because I feel that 
the main stages will have more space for melodic stuff as well because you see how people are dancing to it right now, how they're feeling it. it it's it's not forced. You don't need to jump on command, uh, stuff like that. And also that you see artists like uh, from from Arjun above and beyond just did a circular set. Yeah. And those cross combinations right now, I, f- I think it's amazing. No, definitely. Bigger crowd that's coming in. And I think maybe also the listenability at home from this genre yeah. is quite high. And for other genres, like we talked about before, that are used to be more mainstream or main stage acts, I think the listenability at home is a bit less. So I think that's a really powerful thing of this music. It's especially the more crossover tracks are really, you can listen to them at home in the car and they feel like, yeah, tracks that you could hear on the radio or whatever. And mm-hmm. they're still part of this genre that's super big. But yeah, I think that's a strong point. And that's also what I like. And I mean, for instance, my parents, I can send them my music and they understand it. Yeah. Uh, and some of the music I used to do early back in the day, which is like, <laughs> they were like, what is this like, noise? They're like, yeah, and they're like, what, what is this? And now they're actually <laughs> like, oh, like my mother sometimes calling like, oh, I saw you have a new track on Spotify. Oh, it's super nice. I listened to it in the car. And that's, that's nice that, that there's also that side to it. Is that the biggest compliment that you can get? That your mom is like, hey, I, I like your music. No, my parents, they love it, but they always loved it. But now I think for them, it's more listenable than what it used to be before. That's like uh, how my friends used to be in the beginning of my career. Then I would play something in the car and they would say, it's awesome. Now you hear it a couple of years later, you're like, you guys were lying to me. This is horrible. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, no, that's what your parents do. That's what we're there for. They they tell you it's amazing, even if it's horrible. Do they ever come to your shows? Um, they they came to one of the, the, the big Afterlife shows last year, which was super nice. In uh, It was in this big amphitheater in, in France, in Orange. And um, this was the first time since, I think, Printworks before the pandemic that they could come to a show. And they loved it. Especially uh, my dad was like super emotional, like, wow, because you see these sea of people in this amazing location. And for him, it was just like crazy that they supported this thing that I wanted to do music and then they see where this ended up. And for them, that's beautiful. And for me, it's amazing to share that moment with the people who always supported you. That's beautiful. And yeah. one, of the, one of the things that, I, the last one of the last things that I want to ask you is, what is the absolute bucket list for you? Like musically, what do you want to achieve, let's say within the next five years? Um, I mean, I think uh, next five years for sure we want to do an, an, an artist album. Mm-hmm. Um, try and make something super special out of that. Um, and there are some shows that that's, to me seem really cool to do. Like for instance Burning Man or Coachella and also Tomorrowland we used to we should, supposed to play that and got cancelled. So there are some shows that are just really cool um, that we'd like to play. But music wise I definitely want to focus on an artist album definitely in the next two, three years. Um, and um, and hopefully win uh, five Grammys, of course. Yeah, of course. Uh, yeah. yeah, why not? Sky's yeah, the limit. Yeah. If, <laughs> if someone can do it, you can do it, man. 100%. The last question. Um, you you played in your set in the State of Trance. You played Marco V, simulated in a in a new remix. What is, like in your past, when you look back in the, in the, in the past, what is your favorite classic record? Um, if I look, favorite trance record... I think um, definitely has to be one of the the older Chesto ones. Like Traffic was always like a big track. And I mean, I used to like my cousin was super into trance in the early 2000s. So he gave me some and I was like more into rock, this kind of stuff. And he gave me like this 
Trans Sensation White double album, which had like all these big, big hits on it. Um, but also Simulated from Marco V was also a track that like keeps like, uh, it. also the melody still like it's so, still it, it, never, it never gets old. Yeah. So yeah, those tracks are just like a blast from the past. And sometimes I, I remix one or edit one for my sets and you can see it still works. Like the bass work of that track, just a different like, like shell around it. But like the, the main ideas still are super nice. Unbelievable that the record of 20 years old plus can still be so fresh. Yeah. Well, thank you so much for answering all these questions. Um, once again, uh, Colin, for coming by. And of course, uh, don't be a stranger. We we'll hope to welcome you back in the, in the near future again for another stunning guest mix on the show. Thanks for having me. And until uh, next time. Yo, thank you. Bye-bye. Yo. Thanks for tuning in. To check full episodes of A State of Trance for free, simply visit arminradio.com. A, a, a State of Trance returns next week.